chat, converse, rant, rave, whatever you call it. Do it on the talk shop, only on SAFM. So you are still on the talk shop here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader, bringing you the third annual Bram Fisher Memorial Lecture. Please can I ask my audience to welcome uh, our Executive Mayor of the Mangaung Metropolitan Municipality, Councillor Tabo Magnoni, with a song, please. Let me take this opportunity to acknowledge the leadership of the university led by Ubabum Temple. Take the opportunity to acknowledge the leadership of the city led by our chief whip, the leadership of the ruling party president led by the Provincial Secretary, the Church Leadership President here, our Pastors President, all people present, but most our students and young people of South Africa. The listenership SAFM. This third Bram Fisher Memorial Lecture theme is Tracing the Ashes of Bram Fisher. Bram Fisher once said that clearing injustice is there for all who are not blinded 
by prejudice to see. Fellow countrymen, I must confess, tonight I am not here for your comfort. I've taken off the rainbow colored glasses. These rainbow colored glasses made me see equality of humankind where there is none. Though blinded by this rainbow, my ears have yet the wailing and the roar of the poor masses of this country. My skin touches the raw draw height of the silent people of this country. Rainbow Nation is a camouflage of the absence of social cohesion, lack of respect for human dignity, and disregard for ethnical and cultural diversity. It is a myth to be demystified and a future to be aspired for. Somebody once said, we were all humans until the race disconnected us. Religion separated us. Politics divided us. And wealth classified us. Racism stinks. Racism stinks and it is raging unabated across our wonderful country and unless we all work to end this crush, we are doomed. That is my blunt message. I could end my discussion at this point. Well, nonetheless, you want to hear more. I'm not convinced that sticking one's head in the sand is the right approach just for the sake of being accepted. I want to upset, I want to offend, I want to bring discomfort to the rainbow-colored glasses wearing South Africans. Collective silence in the face of human degradation stinks. The first national conference on racism was held in 2000, and today, 16 years later, we are still confronted with the same racial problems that were prevalent during the apartheid years. Take the case of Samuel Cheta and Sien Tangash, a duo murdered under mysterious circumstances in Paris in January this year. Two versions of the same tragedy demonstrate the racial divide that characterizes our society presently. The first, an account by the white farmers. On the 6th of January, an elderly farmer in the Paris district was feeding his dogs when he was attacked and pistol wiped by two unknown black men who demanded 20,000 from him. He managed to run into his house and press the panic button. A group of neighboring farmers came to his aid and tracked down Chekla and Tangasha on a farm about 8 kilometers away. A scaffold, in short, 
but the former managed to apprehend and place the two alleged attackers in custody. They were then handed over to the police. The second version by the predominantly black community reads, On the 6th of January, Jekla and Tangasha, who worked for an elderly farmer, went to collect their outstanding wages, which had not been paid in December. The farmer chased them away, wielding a knob theory. He then pressed his panic button, and about 40 local farmers arrived on his farm and chased Clyde, Jekla and Tangasha for over 8 kilometers, who literally ran for their lives. The two were eventually caught, had their hands tied behind their backs, and were beaten close to death before being handed over to the police. They both died that night. The post-mortem examination report reveals that the two deceased died of multiple injuries, which included intracranial hemorrhage, multiple fractures, and brain damage. The police arrested four suspects. However, there are no witnesses. There is no crime scene and no murder weapons. And there is a very strong possibility the case against them may be dismissed. Cry the beloved Rainbow Nation. We have to enact our resolve and realize our hope as embodied in the Constitution that South Africa belongs to all who live in it, united in diversity. We need to be radical to realize the objectives of our Constitution in the year and now. Bram Fischer on the dock said, The laws under which I am being persecuted were enacted by a wholly unrepresentative body a body in which three-quarters of the people of this country have no voice whatever. These laws were enacted not to prevent the spread of communism, but for the purpose of silencing the opposition of the large majority of our citizens to a government intent upon depriving them solely on account of their color, of the most elementary human rights, of the right to freedom and happiness, the right to live together with their families, wherever they might choose, to end their livelihoods to the best of their abilities, to rear and educate their children in a civilized fashion, to take part in the administration of their country and obtain a fair share of the wealth they produce. In short, to live as human beings. Oliver Reginald Tambo, 1961, said, This demon of racism has to be uprooted in its totality. It brutalizes entire people, destroys persons, wraps the process of thought and injects into human society a foul air of tension, mutual antagonism and hatred. It demeans and dehumanizes both victim and practitioner. The Federer goes on to say in 1980, in its extreme forms, racism is an institutionalized system of inequality between people who define genetic origin, skin color, and other inherited physical traits. Generally, 
It is a system of discrimination against black and brown people that come about when the countries of Western Europe invaded America, Asia, and Africa, and they conquered the indigenous populations and slaves some. As it affects the peoples of Africa, Asia, and America, racism therefore presents itself as a byproduct of colonialism, an integral part of the process that led to the domination of European people of the rest of mankind. When South Africa finally joined the rest of African states to gain independence 21 years ago in 1994, the hope of an idea of African Renaissance was illuminated. It has also been the hope of many nation states that South Africa's unique history could perhaps serve as a premise for us to emerge as an ideal model in the global struggle against the scourge of racism. Nonetheless, ladies and gentlemen, racism is everywhere. It follows you on daily basis. The shop attendant who follows you around in the store simply because you are black, the policeman who sees you as a potential criminal simply because you are black, and associating success of blacks to fraudulent and corrupt delicts. The Freedom Chapter says, We the people of South Africa declare for all our country and the world to know that South Africa belongs to all who live in it, black and white, and that no government can just claim authority unless it is based on the will of the people. The United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, UNESCO, in its famous declaration on race and racial prejudice in 1978, stated, All human beings belong to a single species and are descended from a common stock. They are born equal in dignity and rights and all forms of an integral part of humanity. All peoples of the world possess equal faculties for attaining the highest level in intellectual, technical, social, economic, cultural, and political development. All views expressed above caution us that if we do not deal with racism, we will not be able to build a new society. Racism undermines the idea as envisaged by the founding fathers of our heart and democracy, the Lutulis, Campbells, the Mandelas, the Sisulus, and the Bramfish. Our call for elimination of racism is based on the constitutional vision of building a united and democratic South Africa that will be able to take its rightful place as a sovereign state in the family of nations. The danger of feeling passionate about race and ethnicity at the expense of nationhood often begets conflicts. And when these conflicts are interpreted as zero-sum games, such that the victory of the opponents would mean the elimination of the group to which the self identifies, a logic of extremism can be unleashed. Victory becomes associated with the complete pacification through the total destruction of the other side. That's Nunez in 2015. The result of which is nothing 
other than populist democracy, characterized by blame-shifting political gimmicks. Under such democracy, the most abominable acts are justified as matters of group survival. Race and racism cannot and should not be the excuse for wrongdoing. It cannot be an excuse for engaging in corrupt practices, and more so, it cannot be an excuse for looting. It cannot be an excuse for murdering human beings because they happen to ask for their wages. Let us learn from the past challenges. When we were confronted with HIV AIDS and how we dealt with it. First, denialism was a dominant factor and we provided quasi medical solutions to the problem. It was only after we confronted the pandemic soberly, objectively, that we came with a program and solution of which has resulted in less infections and thus less people died. We must stop being in denial about racism. We need to confront it as we did with HIV AIDS, and we need to come with aggressive programs that will unite the country on this matter. But I want to argue that a dent to racism and racial attitudes is to address inequalities that are prevalent in our society. There is no doubt that profits accrued from racial exploitation. They also stink. Economic changes have been unfavorable in South Africa since the dawn of democracy. The latest statistics reveal that the wealthiest 10% control about 60 to 65% of national income in South Africa. In stark contrast to 30 to 35% in Europe. Piketty argues that even worse, the vast gap between the top 10% who remain overwhelmingly white and the bottom 90% has widened further since the end of apartheid. In 1942, William Beveridge, a British economist, proposed five types of poverty. One, squalor. Two, ignorance. Three, want. Four, idleness. Disease. In modern terms, this could be defined as poverty related to housing, education, income, employment, and health care, respectively. It's true that poverty affects people of all races, gender, and nationalities. But it's also true that poverty, especially deep, persistent, intergenerational poverty, blocks some groups more than others. That's because poverty isn't just a matter of making too little money to pay the bills or living in a bad neighborhood. It's about a series of circumstances and challenges that build upon each other, making it difficult to create stability and build wealth. Such structural imbalances are systematically enforced in terms of the then unjust laws, propagating racial discrimination. Ram Fisher labeled that system as breeding fear for economic development in South Africa. 
Apartheid's legacy of special planning is another thorn that exacerbated inequality and still highly integrated to address. This is quite evident in the geographic layout of every city today. Our cities resemble what Franz Fanon rendered the colonial world. In his writing, Fanon identified the key features characterizing this colonial world as one involving unambiguous contrast between the settlers, that is white, and then the native towns, that is black. Settlers town is predominantly rich, well-fed, easygoing, and always full of good things. The native town is predominantly poor, hungry, starved of bread, of meat, of shoes, of coal, of light, to mention but a few. You do not necessarily need any specialty in town planning to notice this stark contrast between battle location and base water in Bloemfontein, Alexander Township and Houghton in Johannesburg, Ukuleju and Goodwood in Cape Town, Umlazi and Westville in Devon and so forth. In our common language, we can call this system of compartments as a special separation of racial groups. In one of his writings titled Segregation, A Global History of Divided Cities, Carl Nightingale reasons that South Africa's story of segregation constitutes the most successful city-splitting effort. It is this very contrast that nightmarishes the post-apartheid special planning. The question then arises. What real progress have we made since 1994 against the Group Areas Act? It is imperative to note that one of the most challenges facing municipalities is the issue of special planning. This subject is also central to national building to address the locational disadvantages which apartheid imposed on the black population and to building an integrated society and nation. The Reconstruction and Development Program, RDP, 1994, provided an important strategic framework for the creation of a non-racial democratic society in South Africa. In this regard, we make towards achieving special social justice through building social inclusive and equitable cities that provide for greater access, especially the poor, to be located on good residential land. Other interventions involved legislative prescripts governing the planning process, like the Municipal Systems Act. The ANC, with its alliance partners, have brought this country so much. We now have freedom of speech. We have freedom of association. We can travel to any country in the world. And yes, we have a constitutional court. Let us not forget that. But. Remember, democracy never lasts long. Somebody said, it soon wastes, exhausts, and murders itself. There never was a democracy yet that did not commit suicide. Democracy is overloaded with obligations and distorted by personal interests. We need to ask ourselves a question as a nation. 
Can we afford recovery or prosperity under these racial circumstances? As we ponder on this, I'm reminded of a scornful joke about us told in Hossite. Here goes the joke. Mikhail Gorbachev, George Bush Sr., and Nelson Mandela are all took into court. Bush asked how long it will take for this country to solve its problem about his country. God said, not in your administration, but in the next one. Gorbachev asked the same question, not in your lifetime, but in the lifetime of your children, says God. But when Mandela asked, how long will it take for South Africa? God shakes his head, not in my lifetime, he says. Surely, in our lifetime, there should be an alternative to our racially divided economy. Whereas we have come a long way as a country politically, we need to deal with adversities that still define us in terms of what we have, where we stay, where do we go to school and so forth. The answer in my view are located within the existing status quo that defines our economy. Economic freedom should assist us to strengthen the threads that are intended to keep our society sewn together. For it is through this ideal that our country will prosper and afford to take care of its citizens. I wish to reiterate that we shared here last year in the second lecture that the democratic state should be bold enough to undertake a decisive program that will affect ownership of the strategic factors of production for the benefit of the majority of South Africans. This timid approach of policy implementation is destroying this country. Without radical economic transformation, our young Democrats will remain indefensible in the eyes of the black majority. And this will continue to encourage racial tensions to a larger degree. Louis Brandes, the great American Supreme Judge, once said, we can have a democratic society, or we can have a great concentrated wealth in the hands of the few. We cannot have both. In this lecture, I call for a revitalization of democracy. This requires us to tackle these three critical questions, actually two. What does it mean to be free when you are owned by a shareholder? A shareholder who is monopoly capital and full of its own power. What policy measures should we come up with in the 21st century to escape the dictatorship of chronic capitalism? One, I think we need to consider the following. Redistribution of wealth. How? If efficient redistribution through progressive taxation on capital. We need also to retain minimum wage legislation. 
We need also to provide quality education in public schools. Vice versa, mediocre education you get in our township schools. We need to improve on skills development. And, of course, the second point is to provide social insurance, which will comprise of free education, particularly for the poor. fast-track the implementation of national health insurance. What we also need to do is to limit the transfer of multinational gains abroad and also to limit the transfer of these gains in tax havens outside the country. The last thing that we need to do, which is quite important, is to retrieve the gains of 1994 and restore confidence in governments. How? One, by respecting our political institutions. By enhancing social cohesion by stopping corruption. If democracy is, as is claimed, overloaded with obligations and distorted by personal interests, it will be better to remind the liberation movement of its own pledge which states that. The ruling party. I am joining the organization voluntarily and without motives of material advantage and personal gain. Goes on to say, and I will work towards making the ANC an even more effective instrument of liberation in the hands of the people. And I will combat any tendency towards disruption and factionalism. The price of freedom is permanent vigilance. That's how Chuba survived for so many years, by being vigilant. We must be mindful of the fact that it is much easier to lose than to forge political freedom. The price of its maintenance is constant vigilance. The price of its recapture, once lost, is generally a far messier business. Once lost, it might never be recaptured. Ours was the longest, hardest walk to freedom. South Africa is not for sale. It cannot be sold to those who produce the prettiest speeches or the juiciest promises. It cannot be sold even to the highest bidder. South Africa is for the people and it will be ruled by the people.
In conclusion, Program Director, I would like to quote one stanza of a poem by Dila titled Comrade. Comrade, don't drag me to endless meetings, to protest capitalists, to fight smug elites, be it in Washington, Seattle, Geneva, or Davos. We never act nor reach resolutions. I think, fellow South Africans, now is the time to act. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That is Executive Mayor of the Mangaung Metropolitan Municipality. Please give him another round of applause as we get into an ad break.